Welcome to the National Community Church Podcast. We're thrilled to be able to share this weekend message with you from Pastor Mark Batterson, our lead pastor at NCC. If you'd like to subscribe, find us on iTunes or go to theaterchurch.com. On a rainy day in the 1750s, an Englishman named Jonas Hanway decided to do what no Englishman had done before. He walked down the streets of London on a rainy day with a portable roof over his head. We call it an umbrella. It was considered an accessory suitable for women. Real men got wet. (laughs) For 30 years, Jonas Hanway was the most ridiculed man in all of England and the driest. There's a plaque commemorating Jonas Hanway in Westminster Abbey. I'm going to be there in a few weeks. I'm going to try to find it. And if I do, I'm going to post a picture on Instagram with me holding an umbrella. Umbrellas are uh, useful on a rainy day. Uh, They protect us from the elements. They keep us from getting wet. Can I suggest that the will of God is an umbrella? And if we are in Christ, we are under the umbrella of God's grace and God's authority. It protects us from the elements. Now, if you get outside of God's umbrella, uh, all hail can break loose. (laughs) Work hard on this. If, If you cheat on your taxes, it's April, right? If you cheat on your taxes, you're stepping out from under God's umbrella. If you compromise your integrity, you're stepping out. You cheat on your spout. If you drink a few too many, you're out here on your own. And it puts you in a very precarious position. I want to be very careful to define the difference between penalty and consequence. When you confess your sin, uh, that sin is forgiven and forgotten. We come under the umbrella of God's grace. That penalty was paid in full 2,000 years ago. But you still have to deal with the consequences. Listen, if you, if you cheat on those taxes or cheat on your spouse, you're going to have to deal with the IRS. You're going to have to deal with your spouse. And uh, you're going to be out here. This is not a threat because God wants you right here. This is just the law of sowing and reaping. This is just spiritual cause and effect. And you see it everywhere. In fact, did you know that in Malachi 3, it says that if we're not tithing, we are not under the umbrella of God's blessing. It applies to so many different, I want to make sure that I am right here. Right under God's will, God's authority, and God's grace. I like the way that uh, Ed Young says this. You've got to get under those things God put over you uh, so you can get over those things God put under you. 
Do you follow that? It's not until you get under God's authority right here that you can get over some of the challenges that you may be facing. Well, what, what does that have to do with this week's message? I think that we find ourselves at the end of the Old Testament. We have talked about the creation, uh, the promise, the exodus, the covenant. Uh, we've talked about the conquest, the kingdom, the warning. And this weekend, we talk about the return. Israel found themselves in a place where they were out here. In fact, way out here. 70 years in exile because of some of the decisions that they had made. But I want to take a look at the comeback that God had prepared for them. Is it okay if I put this away? It's actually quite a good soldier uh, uh, shoulder exercise. There we go. All right. Uh, if you have a Bible, you can turn to 2 Chronicles chapter 36, starting in verse 15. We'll put it on the screen for you, and here we go. The Lord, the God of their ancestors, sent word to them through his messengers again and 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 again. I know there's only two agains in this verse, but read the whole, God is so patient. God is saying, come back under the umbrella. They don't listen. So again and again, because he had pity on his people and on his dwelling place, but they mocked God's messengers, despised his word and scoffed at his prophets until the wrath of God was aroused against his people and there was no remedy. He brought up against them the king of the Babylonians who killed their young men with the sword in the sanctuary and did not spare young men or young women, the elderly or the infirm. God gave them all into the hands of Nebuchadnezzar. He carried to Babylon all the articles from the temple of God, both large and small, and the treasures of the Lord's temple and the treasures of the kings and his officials. They set fire to God's temple, broke down the wall of Jerusalem, burned all the palaces, and destroyed everything of value there. He carried into exile to Babylon the remnant who escaped from the sword, and they became servants to him and his successors until the kingdom of Persia came to power. It was a scorched earth strategy. The year was 586 BC. Nebuchadnezzar sacked the city of Jerusalem, destroyed the temple, and took Jewish prisoners of war back with him to Babylon. That's the storyline. But let me just share one little subplot. One of those prisoners of war was a young man named Daniel. There's a book in the Bible named after him. And his rise to political power is nothing short of miraculous. God gives Daniel the ability to interpret dreams. And he uses that unique gift to uh, eventually position Daniel as second in command to the king. And the reason why I share that is to share this. Even when your life is falling apart, 
God is still working his plan and his plan is still working. God always reserves a remnant and he has a way of elevating and leveraging people in strange and mysterious ways that change the course of history. There's a moment in the book of Daniel when Nebuchadnezzar is going to kill all of his wise men because they can't interpret his dream. That's pretty much his strategy for everything. If he doesn't like it, kill it. (laughs) Daniel interprets the dream, and that's the part of the story that we focus on. Daniel is then elevated to this position of authority, but, but the piece of the story that we forget is that he saved the lives of all of those wise men in Babylon. Fast forward 500 years, a star appears over a town called Bethlehem. The Bible says that wise men living in the east see it, follow it, find it, and we don't know exactly who they are or where they're from. Here's my best guess. These wise men who follow the star are descendants of the wise men who served in King Nebuchadnezzar's court. So here's a 30,000-foot observation. We have no idea how our lives are going to alter the course of history downstream. How our actions and decisions might make a difference in ways that we can't possibly predict. I would argue that Daniel 2 makes Matthew 2 possible. The part of the Christmas story where the wise men show up doesn't happen without Daniel interpreting this dream because the wise men cease to exist. Don't underestimate the impact of your actions, your decisions, your gifts, your sacrifices. They have the power, they have the potential to change nations and generations. Daniel saves the lives of these fifth century wise men and the first century wise men saved the life of Jesus. Wait, what? No, you remember that part of the story. Sure, they're warned in a dream, Mary and Joseph, to flee to Egypt because there's someone that's just about as crazy as Nebuchadnezzar. His name is Herod, and he has a scorched earth strategy. He comes in, he's going to kill all the children under the age of two because he hears about this Messiah. How, How does a minimum wage carpenter who just went to Bethlehem to pay taxes afford an international trip? Well, it doesn't hurt if you have wise men showing up with three gifts, uh, gold, frankincense, and myrrh. Listen, gold works in any economy. But what I'm saying is that gift is a two-way ticket to Egypt and back. Is it possible that God was using Daniel to set up that divine appointment 500 years before it happened? If you say, well, now, Pastor Mark, you're getting a little carried away, aren't you? Maybe we underestimate God's sovereignty. Listen, uh, we know the Bible says that God is preparing good works in advance. And we think minutes and hours and days and weeks, maybe months, some of us even years. But to a God who exists outside of, to a God who a day is like a thousand years and a thousand years are like a day. I mean, what's the difference between a day and 500 years? I think we've got to think bigger and think longer than that. God has been setting you up before the day you were born. No, 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 let me take that back. Since before creation, Ephesians 1, 4, 
Does that give anybody a little sense of destiny? God is ordering our footsteps. Can I share my favorite verse so far this year? You know I'm going to share it anyways. With or without permission, John 6, 6, Jesus is quizzing Philip. They're in a bind. They've got to feed 5,000 people. They've only got five loaves of bread and two fish. Doesn't add up. Jesus says, where shall we buy bread for all these people to eat? And Philip is like, I have no idea. Um, And I love the way that the Bible puts this. Uh, It says that Jesus asked this only to test him. Then it says, for he already had in mind what he was going to do. I love this. I love this. He already knew that five plus two equals 5,000 remainder 12. He he already knew what he was going to do. Listen, he already knew the day that Nebuchadnezzar sacked the city of Jerusalem, God knew exactly what he was going to do. Uh, He was already uh, setting Daniel up. Daniel didn't know it'd be 70 years, but God did. And in the very same way, God is setting you up. I believe that. Back to Nebuchadnezzar. Builds a 90-foot statue to himself. Has everybody bow down to it. Not sure what he's compensating for, but three conscientious objectors named Shadrach, Meshach, and Tebedjigo. won't bow down. Parents, that's for you. That's a freebie. <laughs> Works well. It's time to tuck the kids into bed. These three men get thrown into a fiery furnace. They have no idea what's going to happen, but God already knew what he was going to do. And a fourth man shows up in the fire, rescues them. And I love how specific scripture is. Daniel 3.27, the fire had not harmed their bodies, nor was a hair on their head singed. Their robes were not scorched, and there was no smell of fire on them. Come on. That's not just a God who rescues. That's a God who does it in a way that only he can get the credit. Now, let me uh, pause and just make a little interjection right here. It's been almost two decades since my father-in-law passed away at the age of 55. It was a complete shock. Uh, Two days before his heart attack, he was given a clean bill of health by his doctor. And the next thing we knew, we were flying from D.C. back to Chicago. And he's in a casket. And if you've lost a loved one, if you've grieved that way, you know that your memory does strange things. Sometimes days and weeks get blurred and it's strange what you remember and what you don't. There are parts of his funeral I don't, I don't even remember. I, I vividly remember someone knocking on the door the night before the funeral and saying, I want all of your... I want all of your shoes. Let me shine them for you. And gave them back. You don't forget something like that. I remember standing next to his casket. I don't know where it came from. But I prayed and asked that God would give me a double portion of his anointing. I don't think I knew what I was asking for. 
I'm still not entirely sure I know, but I do believe that whatever God has done through me, whatever, because of me, in spite of me, it's an answer to that prayer. I believe that. And there's one more thing I remember. I remember Dr. Bedeman Gistu, who's family to us, saying something I'll remember until the day I die. He said, when you have a setback, you do not take a step back because God has already prepared your comeback. And we held on to that and believed that. My guess is that there are a lot of people at our eight campuses this weekend that could use a comeback. Maybe it's a marriage that isn't what it was or isn't what you want it to be. It might be a dream that died somewhere along the way, or maybe it's a piece of your personality that's been lost. You aren't who you were. You aren't who you want to be. And frankly, your life just doesn't measure up to what you thought it would be now. I believe that God has a word for you this weekend. When you have a setback, you do not take a step back because God is preparing a comeback. Pastor, how can you say that? You don't even know my circumstances. I don't know your but I know God. And he is the God of the comeback. You, you've got to get under the umbrella. And, and even under the umbrella, listen, bad things happen. Jesus said, in this world, you will have trouble. But take heart, I have overcome the world. But I promise you, you get underneath the umbrella of God's will, of God's authority, of God's grace, and, and something begins to change. Now let's get back into this story. Nebuchadnezzar sacks the city and we've got to fast forward. Uh, the Persian empire does to Babylon what Babylon did to Israel. Eventually a king named Cyrus uh, takes the throne and that's where we pick up the story. The people of Israel have been in exile for about 50 years and something totally unpredictable, totally unprecedented happens. Uh, the Jewish people make the most remarkable comeback. Listen, on, on par, I think, on par with the Exodus and on par with the Holocaust. Here's what happens. Second Chronicles 36, verse 22. In the first year of Cyrus, king of Persia, in order to fulfill the word of the Lord spoken by Jeremiah, the Lord moved the heart of Cyrus, king of Persia, to make a proclamation throughout his realm and also to put it in writing. This is what Cyrus, king of Persia, says. The Lord, the God of heaven, has given me all the kingdoms of the earth and he has appointed me to build a temple for him at Jerusalem in Judah. Any of his people among you may go up and may the Lord their God be with them. Let me make an observation right here. If God can use a Persian king named Cyrus to build a temple to a God he doesn't even worship, he can use anyone to do anything. Is that fair? No matter what side of the political aisle you're on, I think this is good news. God can use the other side. Did I just say that? You know, the ones who are wrong. 
Now listen, I pray that God would raise up a generation of Daniels and Esthers. I believe that we need our best, we need our brightest, we need our most devoted followers of Christ in the political sphere. Um, I don't know how else to say this. God isn't hindered by whoever's in power. Last, I don't think God gets nervous about any upcoming election. Okay? God can use a righteous king. God can use an unrighteous king. In this instance, he does the latter. Ezra 6.22, the Lord filled them with joy, speaking of the Jewish people, by changing the attitude of the king of Assyria so that he assisted them in the work on the house of God, the God of Israel. I just want to put this out there. We're called to pray for our leaders. And I I think in our city, um, it's especially significant. What if when we walk by or drive by or run by uh, the White House, the Capitol, Supreme Court, what, what if we didn't just walk by, run by? What if we did a walk by prayer, a drive by prayer. Um, listen, if we're not praying, we shouldn't be complaining. Now, let me tell you what, what I pray when I don't know what to pray, which is often. I pray the word of God. And this story reminds me of Proverbs 21.1. The king's heart is in the hand of the Lord. He directs it like a water course wherever he pleases. God's done it before. He can do it again. When I don't know what to pray, I think it's okay to pray that leaders would submit their hearts to God and commit their ways to him. I think it's okay to pray that God would change hearts the way that he can change a water course. And when we pray that way, something powerful happens. Walter Wink said that history belongs to the intercessors. That's us. That's our responsibility. Now, let me make two uh, observations. One, God keeps his word. There's a little phrase in this passage that's so powerful to me. Verse 22, it says, uh, this happened. Are you ready? In order to fulfill the word of the Lord spoken by Jeremiah. Jeremiah 1.12 says that God is watching over his word to perform it. He doesn't forget his people. He doesn't forget his promises. Which brings me to a second observation. God has a good memory. There's a little phrase that's repeated quite often in the Old Testament, three words, for David's sake. In 853 BC, a king named Jehoram assumes the throne. He's the fifth king of the southern kingdom. It's been 117 years since the death of David. And it says that Jehoram did evil in the eyes of the Lord. He actually killed his brothers so that he could be the one who assumed the throne. But, but then it's one of those where, how can this be the next verse? Where human logic, this doesn't make sense. Okay, you just told me he did what was evil in the eyes of the Lord. Next verse. Nevertheless, for David's sake, for David's sake, the Lord was not willing to destroy Judah. 
David is long gone. He's 117 years dead. And God says, but I haven't forgotten. Oh, I, I remember. I made a promise to him. Can I suggest that God has done some things in your life for the sake of someone else? A praying parent, a praying grandparent. I told you about my grandfather who used to kneel next to his bed at night, take off his hearing aid, couldn't hear himself pray. Everybody else in the house could. <laughs> Those are some of my earliest memories. My grandfather interceded. Died when I was six. His prayers did not die. And there have been moments in my life where I've experienced blessings that I certainly don't deserve. And things have happened where, God, there's no explanation for this. And the Spirit of God has whispered to my spirit and said, Mark, I'm answering the prayers of your grandfather right now. Come on, let's be those people. We're the beneficiaries of prayers we know nothing about. We've inherited cities we didn't build, wells we didn't dig, harvests we didn't plant. God was working long before we got on the scene. And he's using us to set up a generation we may never meet. God has a good memory. He doesn't forget his people. He doesn't forget his promises. Only thing he forgets your sin, when you get under the umbrella. How amazing is that? That's our God. That's who he is. So in 538 BC, Zerubbabel leads a remnant of 50,000 Jews back to Jerusalem. And what do they do? The first thing they do is rebuild the altar. Ezra chapter three, verse two, says, then Joshua, son of Josadak, and his fellow priests and Zerubbabel, son of Shealtiel, and his associates began to build the temple of the God of Israel to sacrifice burnt offerings on it in accordance with what was written in the law of Moses, the man of God. Despite their fear of the people around them, they built the altar on its foundation and sacrificed burnt offerings on it to the Lord. I am not going to give you seven keys to a comeback this weekend. I, 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 I'm going to give you one. This is where you start. You rebuild an altar to the Lord and you put yourself on it. That's it. You surrender yourself to God, to his priorities, to his plans, to his purposes. In a few minutes, we're going to celebrate communion. I, I, I'm sorry, but I'm, I'm not sorry for how emotional I am right now. I'll tell you exactly where I've been praying for you this week. And the Lord has so burdened my heart because I know that there are those that are outside the umbrella that God wants back. And he wants to come back for your life. So I've been praying for it. Listen, when we celebrate communion, we're getting under that umbrella. Now, this rebuilding of the, the altar in Ezra, I think there's a, uh, 
A corollary in the book of Revelation, the letter to the church of Ephesus, it says, I know your deeds, your hard work, your perseverance. They uh, paid a tremendous compliment, but then it says, I hold this against you. You have forsaken your first love. Consider how far you have fallen. Repent and do the things you did at first. Go back and rebuild an altar. I'll tell you a story. Uh, a few weeks ago, finished a 57,000 word manuscript sent it to my publisher. Uh, thank you. I know one person's excited. Titled Whisper, How to Hear the Voice of God. And uh, let me tell you the scariest moment for an author. Uh, it's every author's nightmare. You come under some kind of anointing and you write something that's better than you are and you don't save changes. <laughs> and either your computer crashes, which happens when you get thousands of edits and you're working with a, an editor. Uh, but here's what happened. I, I wrote a great paragraph by my own estimation. <laughs> and, uh, but it wasn't in the right spot. So I cut it um, to paste it where it belonged and forgot to paste it. And uh, a couple hours later, I had done a lot of cutting and pasting in between. And I'm dying right about now. How, how wh what do I do? Okay, I'm gonna help some of you out right now. I'm gonna give you a shortcut key. Are you ready for it? Command Z, say Command Z. Thank the Lord for Command Z. Here's what I did. I sat at my computer. I can't remember how long it took, but I must have hit Command Z a couple hundred times. <laughs> undo, 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 undo. Until, voila. <laughs> this amazing paragraph reappeared. And it wasn't as good as I remembered. <laughs> I, I have a hard time thinking of a much better picture of God's grace than Command Z. Undo, 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 undo. Because here's what happens. Listen, life takes a toll on us. We lose pieces of our faith here. We lose pieces of our personality over there. Some of our dreams get cut down to a smaller size. How is this ever going to get pasted back together? Listen, you get under God's umbrella and God's grace. Listen, the enemy comes to kill, steal, and destroy. Jesus came that you might have life and have it more abundantly. The word holy means whole. God wants to give it back, to put it back together. Joel 2.25, I will restore to you the years that the locust hath eaten. Let me close with this. One of the most amazing comebacks in the Bible is the story of the prodigal son. I'll give you the short version. Two sons, youngest son asked for his inheritance in that culture, he, he might as well say, said to his dad, I wish you were dead. 
he squanders it on wild living, the Bible says, ends up in a pig pen. Sometimes God has to get us to the lowest place to get our attention. The Bible says he came to his senses. I'm going to tell you what I think happened. It's a powerful emotion. Nostalgia. He had gone so far. And now he remembers his father. And now he remembers his home. And now he remembers who he was and who he was meant to be. And that nostalgia begins to do something in his heart. A couple of years ago, I came across this powerful devotional, uh, Pope Francis, called Nostalgia for God. He says, how is our nostalgia for God? Are we content? Are, Are we happy like this? Or do we every day have this desire to go forward? And then he prays and says, May nostalgia for God never be quelled in our hearts. There's some of you here this weekend that are far from God and you miss him and he misses you and he wants you back. The good news is he's not the God who scolds us when we come back. What we discover is that when we turn our back on God, God does not turn his back on us. Turn around. Turn around and here's what you're going to find. He's the God with arms wide open. He's the God who runs towards us. He's the God who always meets us more than halfway. He's the God who forgives and forgets. He's the God who hugs and kisses. Yes, it's in the Bible. And he's the God who throws a party for us when we get back. That's who he is. That's the father's heart. And so this weekend, as we celebrate communion, we take a pilgrimage back to the foot of the cross. Can I invite you to come back under God's umbrella? I'm gonna invite our worship teams to come, invite our ushers to come as I pray. Lord, thank you for your long suffering. Thank you for your patience. Thank you that you're the God who never gives up on us. The God who never turns his back on us. Thank you that you're the God whose arms are open wide. I pray that we would have the courage to respond. If you feel something in your heart right now, I dare say that it's the Holy Spirit tugging at your heart. It's a God who wants an even more intimate relationship with you. A God who was willing to go to the cross so that it could happen. Lord, we build an altar right here, right now. And we put ourselves on it. We belong to you. We're yours. In Jesus' name, amen.